your Bible, turn to Luke chapter number 19. Sure have a lot to say in the realm of gratitude, much I want to share with you. I'm afraid if I get started, I just might get a little bit emotional. I was talking to someone the other day at one of the grad parties. As tears are coming out of my eyes, I said, I'm not an emotional person. They looked at me, they said, you're lying. You are an emotional person. And I've asked uh, much uh, time in prayer, looking forward to preaching, and just uh, very grateful for the, uh, the opportunity. So thankful. Uh, there's much that I could say that the Lord's taught us through this stroke. Um, just how much we love the Lord. How, how much we love this church. Those uh, early days in the ICU, uh, my wife... Uh, Spent a lot of time reading lots of texts, dozens of texts, and uh, she recorded back. I couldn't see at the time, had a hard time typing. I would hit buttons, and all of a sudden, things were closing up. I, I just wasn't making, me, making it, that connection. So many of you, I tried to send back a personal note through my wife, and I realized that here in the last couple of weeks, some of your numbers weren't saved in my phone, and if I didn't respond, please don't take, a, take that personal. For whatever reason, we just had a lot going on. So grateful uh, for what the Lord's doing and grateful to be in church today. And God's given us a wonderful day. In Luke chapter 19, I'd like to share the title with you. Um, a correct view of Christ will be seen in what I have gained for Christ. A correct view of Christ will be seen in what I have gained for Christ. And I want to dwell on these two questions, really. How do I see Jesus Christ this morning? And how do I serve Jesus Christ? If you're already here, excuse me, if you're already here in Luke chapter 19, you recognize this is the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, you may be thinking, well, this is a junior church. Uh, my wife and I have the privilege to run the uh, uh, kindergarten through first grade, second grade uh, chapel. This is, a, this is a, a, an elementary chapel message, Zacchaeus. And I, I'll, I'll challenge you this morning. Don't, don't tune me out. Don't tune me out. If, if you have an opportunity, if someone makes you your favorite meal, you don't say, well, I don't want that. I've had that before. I don't want that meal again. No, you sit up to the table and you say, give me some. Why? Because you know what it tastes like. You've, you've tasted it. You've enjoyed it. You, you, you may have even, even looked forward to it when they told you what they were going to be making for you. And so I, I tell you today, as we open up Scripture and we think about Zacchaeus, oh, it's a children's story. No, no, it's a man who trusts Christ and gets saved. It ought to thrill your heart because you've tasted it before. You know what it's like and you're excited about it. And you know what's coming. But as, as I looked at this text, today, God showed me a couple of things. And I, I want to work my way uh, through this very quickly in Luke chapter number 19. As I said, it's a very familiar passage. We understand that it, the, the gospel, I don't know what your understanding is of, of the Word of God today. I want to be careful. I, I know where I'm preaching. It's the Cleveland Baptist Church. I understand uh, the history, the heritage that we have. But there may be someone visiting today that really doesn't fully understand just exactly how we have our Scripture. As we read the Gospel of Luke, we're reading Luke's perspective of, God, of Jesus Christ's ministry. And the Bible tells us in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, watch this, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's why we have the word of God today. It's profitable unto us. And we're going to look at it today. And I believe God shows us some things here in the story of Zacchaeus that will be a help to us as we get started here. But I want you to think about this. We're writing, we're listening, we're reading, excuse me, we're reading the writings of a doctor, a physician. 
And as a physician, he thinks like a physician. A physician. You understand what I'm saying, right? He, 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 uh, much through the theme of the Gospel of Luke, he focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ. How Christ, God, Emmanuel, God came to be with us. And as we look at the Gospel of Luke, we recognize in the early stages of Luke, matter of fact, it's probably the most read Gospel around the Christmas time. Right? How many of you remember Charlie Brown Christmas? Come on. It's the most read. Everybody, everybody recognizes this. And Luke, put, he puts an emphasis, uh, listen, on the human relationships that, that, are, that are in the life of Christ. He talks about John the Baptist. He talks about his, his aunt and uncle. He talks about his parents there as, as they, uh, when he's 12 years old and they, they, they leave the city of Jerusalem without him. And I think it's quite interesting, as I went through my studies today, I think it's very quite interesting. The very first record, recorded words that Luke writes down, that, he, that the Holy Spirit guides him to write down, the first words of Jesus Christ as a 12-year-old boy, listen to this, in Luke chapter 2, 49, and he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? They, they left. They, they got about a day and a half out, and they're a day and a half back, so three days, they're not without Jesus. They see him there sitting there with the doctors and lawyers there at the temple. And he says to them, how is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Amen. Listen, as a doctor, Luke would know some things about always being about business. You recognize today that a mechanic can take a day off of work. He can drive around town and see a broken down car and just keep on driving. It's not his job. It's not in his shop. You understand if a doctor is driving down and he sees someone or she sees someone in need on the road, they're not just going to keep driving. No, they've taken an oath that they're going to help somebody. See, a doctor is always on. That's why we have the, uh, the stories. Is there a doctor in the house? Is there anybody? Well, this isn't my hospital. This isn't my... No, 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 no. You're a doctor. You're going to do this. Because a doctor would understand what it means to be busy about the business of what you're called to do. And as we look at this, we, we look in the, in the Gospel of Luke, we see the account of, 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 uh, of Zacchaeus here, and, and, I, and I think Luke, is, he's thinking like a doctor. He's writing like a... What does a doctor do? I've had a little bit of experience here in the last few, few months and weeks about what a doctor does. They're going to observe the patient. What's the state of mind? What's, what's the condition? They're going to they're make some observations. Uh, they're they're going to make a diagnosis. And then from that diagnosis, now, now they're going to prescribe a, a course of treatment. It's not always medicine. Sometimes it's a course of treatment. Hello, sometimes it just could be diet and exercise. I hate saying that. I'm sorry. Sometimes that's what it could be. Sometimes it's, you know, get some more sleep. A little bit less coffee. I, I, don't, again, I better be careful. Careful, careful. I, I know, I know. I know where I'm at. I know. My dad would always say the three C's. Cake, coffee, and crowds of Baptists, all right? So I, I understand that, but sometimes it's a, it's a prescribed course of action. As a physician, Luke, Luke observes here. Now, we know that there's chapter breaks in our Bible. Those aren't Holy Ghost-inspired. You know that, right? And as I was studying this, I couldn't help. God just moved me over here to chapter 18. So you're there in 19. Look with me in chapter 18. We'll notice here... A few things. I just want to just kind of give us an idea here of the two patients that Luke, that Luke is looking at. He's looking at two patients. One is hindered because he has no sight. One is hindered because he has no sight, and yet he cannot see Jesus, so he cries out. We see this in Luke chapter 18. Another, we'll look at in verse, uh, chapter 19, uh, one is hindered because he has no height. That was good, right? He has no height, and he must see Jesus, and he climbs up. 
So I want you to notice this real quick. Look with me in chapter number 18. Begin reading verse number 35. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. Now we'll read the same account in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew gives us a little bit more information. There's actually two blind men. One of the names is Bartimaeus. We believe this is Bartimaeus here that's talking about in chapter 18. And look at verse number 36. And hearing the multitude pass by, who he, who Bartimaeus... And he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went, which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. In Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew uses the phrase, Jesus had compassion on him and saved him. Look at verse number 43. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Real quickly here, notice he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. As he cries out, when he says, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, he's talking about uh, the Davidic uh, covenant that the, the, the Messiah would come through the bloodline of David. That's what he's acknowledging here. He's acknowledging, hey, there's a man coming through. Who is that? man? Oh, that's Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus. He's the son of David. He's the one that can have mercy on me. Jesus is passing by and he calls out. While he recognizes he has some physical disabilities, he, he, he takes whatever abilities he has and he puts them to use. While he cannot see, he certainly can hear and he can certainly cry out and he cries out for Jesus. Now, you'll notice there, there are some people, there's them, some they's around. Who are they? Well, we don't know. They could be uh, Pharisees. They could be Sadducees. They could be publicans. They could just be other fellow sinners. They're looking around. And, and, and the Bible tells us they rebuked him. See, every time you mark it down that God's working, there's always going to be a crowd of they that will rebuke. They that will complain. They that will criticize. They that will try to, to, try to uh, squash things down. But he doesn't, he doesn't let that deter him. He continues. He recognizes Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus responds with compassion. And the Bible tells us he receives his sight. Now, very quickly, I want you to see here our second patient. Our second patient. Look in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was but chief among the publicans. You recognize that a publican would have been a Jew who was employed by the uh, Roman uh, uh, government to collect taxes uh, from, from their fellow Jews. Probably not someone you would want to invite over for Passover uh, when that time came around. Now, these were not very popular people. Uh, however, however, they were very wealthy. Uh, they had opportunities to, to use their, their positions of power and to increase their wealth. So while not, uh, not a very... Uh, a popular person certainly is wealthy. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us that he was rich. We see that in verse number two. Look at verse number three. And he sought who Zacchaeus. He sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature and ran before him and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. Well, those are wonderful words, aren't they? Many a songwriter has written songs about he knows my name. 
the fact that, that Jesus would know who Zacchaeus was. The Bible doesn't record any other interactions, certainly as the Son of God. He would have known who Zacchaeus was. He would have known everything about Zacchaeus. He would have known that Zacchaeus is, is a publican. He would have known that he's not a very popular person. He would have known that he's probably uh, lined his pockets with some extra money. He would have known everything about Zacchaeus. Can I tell you today, as you sit here today, Jesus knows everything about you. He knows where you came from. He knows what brought you in here today. He knows what's keeping you up at night. He knows the fears that you have. He knows the concerns. He knows the times of lack of faith that you have. He sees everything. Oh, you may be able to put a mask on. You may be able to come in here and dress up and look pretty nice. And you may be able to carry the right kind of Bible. A King James 1611 Bible. You may be able to do all these things. But Jesus knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you do. He sees it. He sees it. The Bible says in verse number 6, He made haste. See, in spite of his condition, in spite of who he was, he obeyed God's command. Don't miss that today. If you're here today and you're lost and you don't know Christ as your Savior, by the authority of God's word, I can tell you today that Jesus commands you to get saved. Amen. And with compassion, he will save you. We'll talk about it in a second. He will not force himself upon you. We'll develop that thought here in just a moment. But stay with me here. Look at verse number seven. And when they, oh, here they are again. Here they are. And when they, who are they? Oh, this, it's they. they. They complain about, well, yeah, we don't do things that way. Oh, no, no, those people, we don't, we don't read, no, we don't, know. no, no, they. They're always so poetic about it, aren't they? They always have such a way to take their, their sin and their disgust and they disguise it into something that's, that's kind of nice. Well, I mean, if we let that in here, then what we have here is not going to be the same. We know. This isn't heaven, Okay. This is not heaven. We recognize today that a sinner cannot go to heaven because if a sinner goes to heaven, heaven is no longer perfect and God is no longer a perfect and just holy God. But down on earth, this place, this place, Cleveland Baptist Church, is to be a hospital, a hospital for sinners. Amen. And Dr. Luke is, is, is showing us just as much right now. He's showing us. Look at verse 8. I'm sorry, I, I got so disgusted with they, I didn't finish what they said. We chuckle. They, they have hindered many, countless of ministry. I wonder if they are in here today. You came to church, feel good, didn't you? How about that? And when they saw it, they all murmured. Best way I can describe murmuring. It's murmuring. They're just grumbling. Just, just bitter. Just grumpy. Just nasty. You really can't even understand what they're saying all the time. Because they're afraid that maybe if you really heard everything that you said, you may ask them, excuse me, what did you just say? Oh, I'm disgusted with they. I find myself... Being one of them sometimes. They murmured that, that Christ, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and, and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, I don't know if Zacchaeus heard the murmurings. I, I don't know that at all. I think Zacchaeus is he's thrilled beyond measure. He can't believe it that, that the, the Messiah, this, 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 the man from the previous chapter who says, the son of David, that the Messiah is in his house. He can't believe it. I don't think for a moment that Zacchaeus heard the day. I'm so thankful 
when, when, we don't, when not everybody hears what they're saying. He says, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now watch this in verse number 10. This is what we would call a key verse to the entire gospel of Luke. Matter of fact, excuse me. We could even apply this to entire scripture. Watch this in verse 10. For Jesus, his own words here. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. His view of of Christ was hindered because he had no height. He he must see Jesus, so he climbs up. He really wanted to see Christ. He he received Christ uh, joyfully. Christ is no respecter of persons. Uh, Peter himself even says so much in Acts chapter 10 that he knew that God is no respecter of persons. And we see that despite of his condition, he responds to Christ's command. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you see Christ today. I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in here has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what it is that's hindering your view of Christ. I don't know, but based on Dr. Luke's diagnosis of these two men and, and their prescribed actions, that, that they trusted Christ and, and one called out and one climbed up and they're both going to heaven. So I, again, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's religion in your life. Maybe it's, it's a false hope in religion. Well, I'm a Baptist. I was baptized. No, no, friend, can I tell you today that baptism does not get you into heaven. If baptism could get you into heaven, then Christ would not have to die. Because they were baptizing people before Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that's not a theologian. That's just a simple observation. Come on. No, no, religious or religious acts will not get you into heaven. I don't know, maybe it's a drug addiction or a love with alcohol that's hindering your view of Jesus Christ. And, and you look at this and you know what, I just, I just can't, I'm just not willing to give up this. It's hindering my view of Christ, I'm just not willing to do it. Maybe it's fornication or adultery that's stopping you from seeing Christ. I do not know the condition that you came in today. I remind you in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 talking about Moses, the Bible says that he choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Is it sin that's hindering your view of Christ today? Is it sin that will uh, damn you to, to an eternal uh, place of suffering called the Bible calls hell? Maybe it's just stubbornness. Maybe it's, it's rebellion. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's that, you know, I, I've been living this life for so long. If, if I were to admit now that I've never trusted Christ, then that would cause all kinds of problems. And it's your, your pride, whatever it is that's doing it. But I can tell you today, we must be willing to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Notice very quickly here, two observations from our text. Both men were eternally changed, and it was evident in their actions. I love this. If you have a, a, a Bible, you can mark in. I, I, I wrote down next to verse number 43 of chapter 18. I wrote the words, every believer, and I drew an arrow to this verse. This is an amazing verse. Look what happens after Bartimaeus gets saved in verse number 43. The Bible says, he immediately received his sight and followed him. You know why we have a basic Bible doctrine class? You know why we, have, we do individual one-on-one discipleship? Because we want to help you follow the, the example that Bartimaeus gives us. Dr. Luke is making an observation here. He says, look, I noticed this man. He could not see Christ because he had no sight, but yet he called out, and I see that this man has a changed life. 
Immediately he received his sight and followed him. Watch this, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. I call your attention. I remind you of Matthew chapter number 5. As Jesus teaching his disciples in verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at, we, we just read it, Zacchaeus' uh, uh, response here in chapter 8. He says, Lord, if I, uh, half my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Will you turn to James chapter 2, please? Uh, James chapter number 2. I, I want you to understand something here. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. That's, this is not what's going on here. This is the, 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 this is the response of salvation. This is not a works-based salvation. In James chapter number 2, look with me in verse number 20. The Bible says, But wilt thou, O vain man, that, uh, wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac upon uh, his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought his works with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, because he was called the friend of God. See ye how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith. So faith only. So how is it that a man could be justified? Well, if you remember the account there, I think it's in Genesis 22. As, as Abraham uh, took, uh, took Isaac to the, to the uh, Mount Moriah, he stood there with his servants and said, Hey, look, me and the lad, we're going to go forward, we're going to worship, and we'll, we'll, we will return. We'll come again. That's faith. He knew that he was going to do, and I believe he had uh, uh, an uh, unshakable faith that Jesus was going to raise, uh, raise his son back up. Amen. So we're not talking about a work salvation. This is belief that's put into action. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm reminded you of uh, verse number 10, For we are his workmanship. Created unto good works, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But I, I look at this and I have to recognize that Christ is calling us today to have a correct view of Him. He said, Well, Brother Goodman, I'm, I'm already saved. Well, we can rejoice. Again, we sit at the table, we eat our favorite meal. We can rejoice in salvation. We can rejoice to know that our sins are forgiven. We can rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed here in this place as well as online. We can rejoice on these things. If there's someone here today that God is speaking to your heart, that they might respond today and trust Christ today, we can rejoice. We can have a hallelujah moment and just thanking God for what he's doing there. But I want you to see this real quick. We're going to finish with this. Uh, Don't get too excited. We're not going to finish just yet, but we're getting close, all right? Look at this. Jesus doesn't skip a beat. Again, the, your, your Bible, like mine, it may put a break between the verses here. But look at this in verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. See, Jesus wasn't done here. Bartimaeus gets saved probably the day before. Could be the same day. We don't know. Zacchaeus gets saved. And immediately in the same setting as Zacchaeus trusting Christ, as they are, 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 are uh, murmuring, in the same setting, Jesus continues on here. He says, and, and uh, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Christ is calling us today to have a correct view of him. Because if we have a correct view of Christ, it will help us in what we gain for Christ. As he transitions very quickly, he wants to remind them about the main thought. Don't forget, guys, I didn't come here just so that I can bring everybody to, to heaven one day. We, we, we came here to seek and to save the lost. I'm sorry, I didn't come here just to bring you to heaven. We came to bring everybody to heaven. 
And he wants to keep them on point. He wants to remind them, hey, there's work to be done here. And he gives us this parable. Let me read it real quick, and you listen real quick, all right? Look at verse number 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, that he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, uh, that he might know how, how much uh, every man had gained by trading. You recognize today that there, are, there is harmony between the Gospels, but this is not the same, the same uh, 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 parable that Jesus gives in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is a totally different parable. If you look at the context, look at the, the details about it, in the context of, of Matthew's parable, he's talking about the, uh, the sheep and the goats. And he separates them. That's not what's happening here. This, these, he's, he's, he's dealing with his servants. He's dealing with his servants. This nobleman is going to receive and he's going to return. In verse number 12, that's what it says here. He's going to receive. It's interesting about that word receive. It comes from the Greek word uh, lambano. And it means, it, matter of fact, it can be used in three different ways. It can be used in a passive sense. It can be used as, in an active sense. And it can also be, be, be used in a, in, in, in a sense by force. Okay? So I need bread. Well, somebody brought me bread. I never asked for it. They just brought me bread. That would be very passive because I didn't do anything. They just brought it, and there's bread, and I have it. Okay? I need bread, so I go and I get the bread. Okay? That, that's pretty active. I've gone, and I've taken it. Right? Then there's by force. I need bread. I'm going to steal yours. I'm going to take yours by force. You understand the differences? So the context tells us what, what's use of this. So the, 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 our context here, it's the, it's the active sense. And it means, it means, by, uh, excuse me, it means to, to, to get a hold of, and, and many times as it's translated in other, other portions of the Bible uh, in, in our New Testament, it's translated as taken or took. Now why is that significant? Well, in my study I came across Acts chapter 26, where the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa. Do you remember that? When he stands before King Agrippa, he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been shipwrecked. All these things have happened to the Apostle Paul. As he stands before Paul, in my mind, I see him, I see him shackled up. That's how I see him in my mind. He's standing before King Agrippa, and he says, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa, that I can report to you today. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he does say, I think myself happy. And he goes on to give his salvation experience. And in that salvation experience... Paul tells King Agrippa the, 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 uh, the call of, uh, of his life that, God put, that Jesus puts on him. In Acts chapter 26, I want you to listen to this. He says here that he's called to the Gentiles to do what? To open their eyes. Wow, we're talking about two guys that couldn't see. We're talking about two guys, their sight was hindered. The apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, God has called me to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness. They may take hold of it. See, salvation is not a passive thing. Oh, no, you're not saved today because you're born into a Christian home. No, no, nor is it by force. You're not saved today because some, Jesus said you are saved. No, no, it doesn't happen like that either. No, we have to respond. We have to accept the gift of salvation. Uh, we go on in our study, and in Philippians chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul is now writing and talking about Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth. But he made himself, verse, verse number 7 of chapter 2, but made himself of no reputation and took, it's the same word, uh, uh, lambano, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
this, this nobleman, he's, he, he's receiving a kingdom. He's, he's going to return one day. We, we, we heard great preaching uh, the, this, this past Sunday about the return of Jesus Christ. I won't belabor the point here, but it, it certainly is something to rejoice about. In First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead of Christ shall rise first. Then they which are alive remain shall be caught up together and with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But Jesus gives us this parable, I think, to remind us of something else. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone, talking about believers, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Notice, we looked at the nobleman. Notice very quickly, notice the servants. He calls them, look at verse number, uh, verse number 12. He calls them. He gives them, he gives them uh, uh, money. He, he tells them, hey, you're, you're to occupy till I come. The command is given at the end of chapter 13, verse number 13. Occupy till I come. That word occupy just simply means to busy oneself with trade or with business. Occupy. Here's, here's, here's uh, 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 10 pounds. Go trade. Go do business. For how long? Till he come. That word signifies continuance till I come. And then he commends two of them. Look at this in verse number 15. He, he, asked, he says, listen, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm going to uh, call them to me that, uh, that he might know how, how much every man had gained by trading. See, our, our, our thought today is that, um, uh, excuse me, I just lost my train of thought. A correct view of Christ will be evident in what we have gained for Christ. A correct view of Christ will be evident what we have gained for Christ. Look at verse 16. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. He said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, uh, and have, uh, uh, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, uh, thy pound hath gained five pounds. He said, Likewise to him, be thou also over the five cities. Another came, now you'll notice he doesn't, doesn't chastise them. He doesn't compare them. The command wasn't given, hey, go and, and produce this much. The command was go and occupy. The command was go and trade. Go and do the business. What was it that Jesus said to his mom and dad? I must be about my father's business. That's, that's the, the business for the believer, that we're to be about our father's business. So we don't compare ourselves to one another. No, no, we don't do that. But, so Jesus, Jesus commends these, uh, uh, these, these two servants, but notice he corrects a third one. Look at uh, verse number 20. Another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is my pound, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I, I'm sorry, it wasn't ten pounds. I had said ten pounds earlier. That he, everybody got one pound. Everybody got the same, right? He says, For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest not up with thy layest down, and reapest not that thou dost not sow. And he said to him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was uh, an austere man. Uh, taking up that which I had not laid down, and uh, reaping that I had not that I did not sow. Wherefore thou gavest not uh, thou uh, thy money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. Why didn't you invest it? I could have just got some interest on it. But not only did you not obey, you you, you were very very naive on this whole thing. And they said unto him, uh, verse 24, and he said unto them that stood by, Take from uh, him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. 
Notice these servants, uh, as he corrects this one, he uses the word fear. And I studied this, this word fear. It, it, comes, it comes from the Greek word phobio. It means to be alarmed, to be in awe, to be in reverence. I, I would submit to you today that that's probably a good fear to have of God. That we would be in awe of him. That we would be in reverence of him. As I sat there in the, uh, in the emergency room at, uh, uh, where was I at here? By our house there. Fairview Hospital. As I sat there in the, in the emergency room, she's my go-to, this is how it is, we're a package deal. Uh, as I sat there in the emergency room, and they're going to take me, they're, they said, we're going to evacuate down to the main campus. And they began to bundle me up. They're going to put me up, you know, pretty tight there on the bed. They're hooking all these things up, and, and I'm think, I began to think about some things. And, and uh, here, here's, here's what I thought about. God, in my life, I've made lots of deals with you in the past. God, you do this, I'll do that. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. I'm not saying those things are right and wrong. I'm just being transparent with you this, this morning. God, I've made lots of deals with you. And this was my prayer. But God, I'm all out of deals. You have everything you can ever get of me. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. Amen. And thinking about this, there's a reverential awe of just who God is. Just how amazing he is. Listen, I'm not trying to get all warm and fuzzy with you this morning, but when he got me down to the main campus, we came down some scaffoldings, and this wasn't a spiritual thing. I, forgive me if, if you're offended by this, but, but I came around, and it was the first sunny day in Cleveland, Ohio. You remember these days, don't you? It was April 20th. And he took a 90-degree turn, and the sun was so big and so bright. And I was all bundled up, and I felt the warmth on my face. I said, God, let me see that son again. Because they were talking about emergency brain surgery. They were talking about brain aneurysm. Let me see that son again. You know what that is? The heavens declare the glory of God. And I just started to think about just how good God is. No, no, this man does not get rebuked because he has a reverential fear of God. Every one of us, as a child of God, we ought to have a reverential fear of God. God, you are holy. God, you are worthy. God, you are amazing. Lord, you love me so much more than I've ever loved you. There's a reverential awe. That's not what he's rebuked for. He's rebuked because he disobeyed. You see, this kind of fear is different than the kind of fear you find in Ephesians chapter 5.25 doing some personal study uh, with our Biblical Counseling Institute uh, on, on the idea of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25, i got to find my notes here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Ephesians 5.25. Lord, please help me. Where is it at? There we go. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I, I, know, I recognize that's written to the church, and it applies to the church, but then it goes right into the, to the, to the marriage relationship right after that. Submit yourselves into the fear of God. That fear is not the same fear that we see in Luke. That fear is the word phobio. And that fear means to be alarmed. It means to be in awe. Excuse me, I'm, I'm reading the wrong one. That fear is phobos. Don't get uh, messed up there like I just did. So we have phobio, which is a reverential awe. This fear in Ephesians 5.21 is phobos. It means to be put in fear, to be afraid, exceedingly terror. That's what God says. We're to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
I'll be very transparent with that. Tom Goodman will be a much better husband if every action and word that he did was filtered through this idea that God is watching and God is going to hold me accountable for how I treat that lady. It would, it would, it would uh, uh, paradigm shift and change our, our, our marriage for the better. And I'm working on it, as, as you are too. Come on, you're not that good either. <laughs> I mean, if we're in church, might as well be honest. Tom Goodman would be a much better dad to his four children that God's blessed him with. If he filtered his thoughts, actions, and words through this idea, there's a holy God in heaven that's going to hold me accountable. Listen, I'm not talking about an anvil just wanting to squash this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking there's a... There's a this servant was not judged because he did not have... Because of his reverential fear, he was judged because he did not have that holy terror fear that gets transformed into action. Amen. See, what I'm saying is our pews are full of enough people who have a reverential awe of who God is today. Our streets and sidewalks need to be filled with people who have a holy terror of a God in heaven that's going to hold us accountable Otherwise, watch this now, otherwise, we're just as bad as they, whoever they are. And I would submit to you, those that sit back in a, in a, in a, in a reverential awe, and a holy, a holy awe of who God is, and they just camp in that place. Listen, there's going to be seasons of life that we need to camp in those places, because I believe that kind of place will transform itself into action, where now things, the, the rubbers kind of meet the road. Jesus included this in the parable, not me. I didn't add this to Zacchaeus' story. Jesus did. Oh, God, help me to have that fear. But we're not done. We're going to finish with this last thought. We looked at the noblemen. We looked at the servants. You know where you stand. I don't have to belabor the point. But I want you to notice the citizens. Who are the citizens? Well, look back in our text. Look back. Verse 14. His citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to rise, to reign over us. That simply means to rule. They, they, well, they can see Christ. They have a view of him, but they reject him. He'll not reign over us. He'll not rule over me. He'll not dictate the places that I go. He'll not tell me what I can and cannot do. I, I'll, I'll not, no, he'll not reign over me. That's the citizens. At the close of our text, in verse 27, the nobleman, after, after uh, calling the servants and, and checking with them, and he commends the two, and he uh, gets after the one, corrects the one. We don't know what happened with the other servants. But look at verse 27. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither, which I reign over them, bring hither and slay before me. I have a, a vision of, of Samuel in the Old Testament slaying the, the, the king of Agag right there in front of Saul. So I don't like that point. Why do I, I don't either. But again, Jesus put in there, not me. The citizens, they refuse to be ruled over. They're rewarded for their unbelief. 
Now turn to Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. We'll, we'll, we'll finish with this thought. Excuse me. They refuse to be ruled over, these citizens. They're rewarded for their unbelief. And I want, I want to remind you today, I wouldn't be much, much of a preacher if I didn't remind you of the reality of hell. Revelation chapter number 20. Look with me in verse number 10. The angel, I'm sorry, the, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. You know the devil used to be an angel, but his pride. Wherefore, uh, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. <laughs> Excuse me. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to the works. Now you and I are not here, the great white throne judgment. This is for the lost. This, these are for the, the citizens. These are for the people that come into the Cleveland Baptist Church. And God touches their heart and says, that's you. You're not saved. You can get saved today. And they reject. These are the people that we reach on Great Commission Night. They get a gospel track and they just throw it away. They reject it. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. Verse 14. This is the second death. And verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In closing, I just have a couple of questions. Where do you see yourself today? You see, some in here, they, they see Christ and they refuse to have him rule and reign in their life. They're separated from God in this life, and they will be forever separated in a place called hell. We start off with a reference to junior church. Can I finish with one? And trying to explain to children, how long is forever? Well, if we could, if it were such a way to hire a sparrow, I don't know that you can. But if I could hire a sparrow and get that sparrow to come over here and take him out to the, to the beach. And I said, put two, two, two grains of sand on each of your wings. And little sparrow, I want you to fly that up to the moon, if it could. I know it can't. Come on, you're grown-ups, you know that. If that sparrow could take it to the moon and drop that sand off, and if it could fly back, and we put two more little grains of sand. Go on, little sparrow. Maybe give him some food, some refreshment. Off he goes, back to the moon. If he could fly back a third time, and, and I said, sparrow, I got two more grains of sand. Keep going. Well, how long? How long is forever? Well, little sparrow, as soon as you get all the sand off of this planet onto that moon, take all that sand that's back on the moon and bring it back to this planet, and forever is just getting started in a place called hell. You say, that's silly. What is, what is so worth in this life that's, that's willing, you're willing to go to hell for? The pleasures of this life? You already know they're, they're, uh, that they fade away. You already know that. You already know they, they don't satisfy because you've tried and tried and tried and you're still not satisfied. Well, I'm satisfied today because Jesus never, he hasn't failed me yet. Not that I'm looking to 
Find out if he will. We know he won't. You see, some, some are separated. They're eternally separated from him in a horrible place called hell. That was not made for you and I. You and I. It was made for the devil and his angels. And all those who reject Christ. Some will see Christ and they have a reverential fear of him and they gain very little, if anything, for Christ in their Christian life. Others will see Christ with a reverential fear and a holy terror and they will gain much for Christ. So where do you see yourself? Where do you see others around you? Or I could say it this way, how do you see others around you? Because there are people that are blind and they're calling out and they just need someone to listen. You see, we didn't have time to develop the thought, but I have to believe. I have to believe there are people in Bartimaeus' life and people in Zacchaeus' life who passed out a gospel tract on a great commission night who got involved when they were called upon, and, and, and that's what sparked the interest for Bartimaeus. That's what sparked the interest for Zacchaeus. How do you see people? There are many that are hindered. Their, their, their sight is hindered about Christ. They're climbing all around us, and they just need someone to look up. Because I believe today that a correct view of Christ will be seen in what I have gained for Christ. 